Welcome to the Comfy Living Podcast, where you'll learn how to become a better entrepreneur in the short-term rental space with Airbnb. Listen in as we interview our expert colleagues, Joshua Adeboye and Norman Hamilton, and take advantage of their years of experience that will help you take your rentals to a whole new level. Welcome to the Comfy Living Podcast, short-term rental edition. My name is Joshua Adeboye, co-founder of Comfy Living Arrangements, and I have my co-founder, Norman Hamilton, on the podcast. What's going on, Norman? What's up, Josh? How you doing? Doing great. Doing great. On today's podcast, we have a special guest. She is the master queen at being able to get direct bookings and to be able to be successful outside of the Airbnb platform. We have Tiana Cruz from Los Angeles, California. She's currently living in Atlanta, Georgia. She's been an accountant for 18 years, and she recently left her nine to five job in pursuit of real estate full time. She's also a licensed realtor, and she is excited to grow in the share economy space. Welcome to the show, Tiana. Thank you, Josh and Norman. How are you guys? We're great. Doing good. So let's get right into it. We know that you're in a lot of our spaces and you've been very successful in your niche market down in Atlanta. So can you just talk about when you got started in Airbnb and how did you get involved into this space? It came about kind of oddly on YouTube. I was looking when I was doing my training for my real estate license. I was watching a lot of YouTube videos just to make sure that I got all of the information for the licensing test. And I came across two guys that were doing Airbnb and I hadn't really heard of it before or ha- hadn't heard of hosting and all that. So I dug into it a little bit more, joined a couple Facebook groups, and then I came across some other podcasts and listened to different things. And I just decided that was something that I wanted to do. After I got my license, I actually started my corporate housing company at the same time. Um, I didn't really do anything with it then because I was focusing more on that. Plus, I still had the nine to five. But slowly, I started getting into other groups. I met the two of you and I listened how different people did it versus being on the platform, off the platform, short term versus 30 day plus stays. And I kind of found my niche somewhere in the middle. I didn't want to necessarily do the short one night, two night stays just because I knew at the time I had a full time job and I wasn't going to be available to look over it that much. And I wanted to do the longer term stays, but I also know that there are some nights that just wouldn't be filled if there's a gap or something. So I kind of combined the two. And um, what I ended up doing is joining the Corporate Housing Professionals Association. I think it's Providers Association. So I got a membership with them and I started to connect with some other corporate housing companies. And that's kind of how I started getting bookings outside of rental platforms before I even put listings on the platforms. Wow, that is very impressive. Uh, we are aware of a CP, a CHPA, um, and you're right, it's provider. So that is uh, quite a bit of an expensive uh club, I must say that, you know, in order to join that space. So it sounds like you were very at that point when you were operating with at home corporate housing, you seem invested into the company. So 
at that point when you decided to join the association, where were you at in terms of the mindset? Were you ready to grow? What were you looking to do at that point? Well, this actually was more recently. So initially what I decided to do to get started in the space, because I didn't have like a big savings, I didn't have a lot of cash on hand to immediately go and purchase a house or a condo or even to get an apartment and furnish it. So I learned about the timeshares and doing the timeshares on Airbnb. So I started that way because it literally cost me nothing but buying the timeshare and I went straight to eBay, bought it for dirt cheap and started doing that. And I started actually listing those in December of 2019. So it was going great. January comes, February comes, doing amazing, better than I thought. And then March comes and our friend coronavirus (laughs) steps in and everything was canceled from that point. So I knew I had to switch things up and do something different. And I figured If nothing else, since we all had time, we were sitting at home, I could join the association then. And then I had time to go through all the information that they had and kind of watch some past videos and things like that. So that's actually when I did that. And then immediately from there, somebody called me like a company, like literally the next day called me and they're like, hey, we're a corporate housing company in South Carolina. We have a client that's coming to the area. Do you have an apartment? I did not. But I responded and I said, no, I don't have an apartment currently in that area, but I can get it. Give me the information and the requirements that they're requesting and I can get the apartment. So they wanted to be in a specific school zone. So I quickly Googled all the apartments in the area, called all the complexes to see who offered a corporate lease. And I literally used the funds that they paid me up front for the rent to get the apartment, get the furniture. And I had it up and running like two days before they were checking it. Wow. Two days before they checked in. Yes. And I did it all by myself. (laughs) Wow. It was me and my kids. Wow. Sorry to interject, but it sounds like you took a, I guess, a more traditional approach to it. Whereas like a lot of people nowadays are just getting the units and then they're hoping that like, okay, people book it. Like you kind of did it the way people used to do it, which is like, okay, we're going to get the requirements. We're going to get someone to book the property. We're going to get the money. Then we're just going to use that money to actually like furnish the property and have it ready for them by the time they're there. And then that way it's like, okay, if they're there for a month or two, now you have two months to get that next long-term booking. Right. And that is kind of what scared me and what kept me from not getting an apartment for so long, just because, you know, I'm on the mastermind with you guys, but most of you are in Texas. And I don't really talk to a lot of hosts that are actually here in Atlanta. And the ones that I have come across, they are not very open and sharing as to how they manage what they do. So I was apprehensive and I didn't want to get an apartment and then not have any bookings, especially because now we're in the middle of a pandemic. So we really don't know how many people people are traveling versus how many aren't. What I did is I went on Amazon, I ordered all this furniture and I had it delivered to my house and I had my fiance get a truck and we put all this stuff in the truck, took it over there. He assembled everything, me and the kids cleaned and got all the utensils and everything put up. And it felt good because it seemed one that was way easier a lot less pressure. And then at that point they were booking for like three months. So all I had to think about is, okay, I have 90 days to now market, get pictures taken, do videos and get this place re-rented. Right. Right. Just to add on to that. So you said the property is in South Carolina. 
the company, the corporate housing company that contacted me was from South Carolina. The guest was moving from South Carolina to the Atlanta area. But my unit was actually in a suburb of Atlanta, which is Alpharetta, Georgia. Okay, I get it. Okay. So the company was in South Carolina, but the actual guest was looking for something in Atlanta. And so the company reached out to you. You got the requirements from the company, and then you set the place up based off of the requirements. But it sounds like some of the issues that you were having was that like Atlanta is different from Texas in the sense of like, at least at the time, there weren't that many people willing to share information with regards to how they're operating. And so like that kind of made you nervous because of the lack of information. So you were going into a situation where like, yeah, you did have the booking, but there was just like not that much information with regards to like how people move and how people operate, which is different than Texas. Right. Because a lot of the people that I ran into, like on the Facebook groups here in Atlanta, they were not operating under a company name. They were getting apartments in their personal name and they were kind of doing it under the table. So that didn't relate to my business model. So I just literally sit and I listen to all you guys and I just took bits and pieces and kind of made it work. Right. What year was this? This is last year, 2020. Uh, Oh, wow. People were doing this in 2020. They just, wow. I thought maybe this was like 2016, 2015, 2017. This is recent. Yeah. Because I didn't learn about Airbnb until 2017. I started the company and got my real estate license in 2018. And I really didn't do anything in 2018 but learn. I got as much information. I got a couple of courses, read a couple of books, you know, watched plenty of YouTube videos. And, you know, I actually did something in 2019. Right. So you came into this basically with a business mindset, because like I said before, a lot of people, like you said, they were getting units in their personal name. They were just trying to operate, period, without thinking about like the legal implications or like entity setup. Like you sat down, you studied the game and then like you literally the moves you were making are literally moves that like a lot of seasoned professionals make. Like, you know, you found the um, CHPA, like a lot of people don't even know CHPA is. You know, you were able to tap into that network and like you really made that network work. And one of the benefits of being in that network was, look, you got something set up and they virtually paid for it off for sheer virtue of like you were part of that network. Like they reached out to you, they gave you the requirements, you set the place up and you got paid and you had a huge advantage over most people who won. Like they don't even have their corporate housing structure set up properly. So like they probably can't even make the type of move you can make just because like they're not a business essentially. Right. They're just a person who's renting apartments. And then right. to, like I said before, because you studied and because you're operating as a business from the jump, those people are probably more willing to work with you, too, because of how you just present yourself. Yes. And what I did, I knew just from being an accountant about how structuring business works, how to build business credit. And I knew just from being in different Facebook groups that I wasn't going to be able to get an apartment unless I had business credit in at least a year under my business as far as history. So yeah, I definitely wanted to take a different approach because especially since I didn't have a lot of free cash, I wasn't willing to jeopardize that cash by going and just getting a random apartment. And if anything went south, if a guest goes to the leasing office, then you're getting evicted. And yeah, if you got the money, you can pay that, but you're out of that money, you know? Right. And that goes back to what me and Josh talk about all the time, which is like finding creative ways to get units started. Like, you know, what we usually do sometimes is we might fundraise from like our network. But in your particular case, that's just a good way to get something started, too. Right. Just get the money in advance, set it up and boom, like you're good to go. And like you already have a tenant in there. So like like there's benefits to different types of ways to acquire units. I think your way is definitely 
the most safest because like you're already getting paid and like you know what you want your place to look like and like because you've been doing it for so long like you know like what you're probably going to run into when it comes to setting up these units yeah and one thing that i did run into after i set up the first one is i got two more renters that wanted to get apartments so i went did the applications got the leases for that but what i ran into is because we were in the middle of the pandemic there was no furniture because my plan initially was to go to this furniture company they had like a apartment package. It was $1,500. It furnishes the whole one bedroom apartment for that price. They had nothing. Was it a supply chain issue? Like did COVID affect their supply chain? And so because of the pandemic, they couldn't get anything? Yes. Everything was like eight to 12 weeks out. And it's still like that currently, which is weird. But luckily, another company from the CHPA reached out to me and they were a corporate furniture company. And they rent furniture to companies that do corporate housing and they come and set up everything. So they told me that they would give me three months free of their service um, if I just tried them out. What could I lose, right? I had a guest. I had the apartment. I just needed the furniture. So they came and said they had everything in that apartment in two hours from the mattresses down to the spoons. And they took me out to lunch while the guys were setting up everything. I mean, they brought trash cans, fire extinguishers, like things that I didn't even have in my first unit, they brought. That is crazy. So I guess like, is it a one-time fee? Like, is it a monthly payment structure? How does that work? Like, Yeah, it's a monthly fee and they have different packages for like the different size units that you have. And for the one bedroom that I was doing, I think their package was like 350, but I wanted to provide my own TVs because I like to use the Roku TVs and they use the different one. So with everything, I think it came to like $327 for the month, but remember, I got 3 months free. And because they were having a hard time during the pandemic as well, first 3 months I didn't have to worry about paying at $300. So it, it really worked out great. That makes sense. And I'm pretty sure that saved you a lot of work on the uh, on the setup side, because like, you know, especially when you're setting up multiple units, we just got done setting up five. And I could tell you, man, like that was probably one of the most stressful weeks I've had in my entire in my entire life. Like the fact that they just got in, did everything in two hours down to the spoons. I know you were thankful for that. Yes, I was. And they did it the day before the guests checked in. And what I really like about that company is they took pictures of everything. Like their company is set up to where they know the short-term housing model. So they are literally getting it ready for a unit to be checking in immediately after. That's what they specialize in. So the name of the company, it's called National Warehouse Management Furniture Sales and Rental. And they do service clients from Georgia all the way out to Texas. So yeah, they were completely great. And then they told me that they would do it again in another in my next unit that I got that I could get three months free. So of course I took advantage of that. And the second time working with them was even easier because I already knew what to expect. It was the same guys that came, they set up everything. And I selected different furniture this time because it was um, my third unit was down in Atlanta. So I wanted kind of a more sophisticated luxury type look. They completely delivered. Wow. Is this kind of a furniture rental or is this kind of like a rent to own thing? Like what kind of, I guess, packages do they offer for the furniture? It's completely rental. And I 
No, the name says sales and rental. I never asked them about purchasing because in my mind, I was just going to use it temporarily until furniture got it back in stock. And then I would swap their stuff out with my stuff. Mm. Um, but yeah, as far as I know, it's just rental. That makes so much sense. Now that play is crazy. Yeah. Honestly, with what you just talked about, you could essentially get a short term rental unit started without having to front the furniture or the funds needed to get started. You could literally start with zero money down. Oh, yeah. Like my Atlanta unit, I had at that point, I didn't use any money. I got the tenant first. They paid up front. The amount that they paid covered the first month's rent, the security deposit, the furniture, and the TVs, everything. And another thing that I used is while we were in the pandemic, I was watching this store. It's called the Habitat for Humanity Restore. And I had been in there before, but never really looking for like stuff like for an apartment. But during the pandemic, they started posting things on their Facebook page about that they had sheets and comforters and linens and towels and different things like that. And because they were shut down for so long due to the pandemic, they had just an overstock of all this stuff. And what I found out is that they were getting brand new towel sheets and all these things donated from hotels, name brand hotels. So literally the day that they opened, I went and they had sheet sets for like $2.50. It was towels, like a pack of 12 towels for $8. So I went and bought at least $200 worth of stuff. And I created a stockpile in my house. Who is this Habitat for Humanity you said? Yeah, Habitat for Humanity Restore, R-E, and then Store. And they have a couple around the metro Atlanta area where they get things donated from like Home Depot, Lowe's, hotels. And they always have things, their stock kind of varies, but they have placemats, anything that you would see in a hotel room, they have. And every now and then they have furniture too. Wow, time out. I live less than one mile from one. So after this, I'm about to go there and see what they got. That is nuts. You said 12 towels for like $2? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I bought plenty. I still have some that I don't haven't even put in a unit yet. Wow. I'm about to fill my attic up. And they are like the good quality towels, not the cheap ones that you can just go buy at Walmart. These are the Holiday Inn thick white towels. <laughs> okay, okay. So these aren't mainstays. Correct. Not mainstays. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Wow. Cause... Thank you for informing us on that. So, uh, it's obvious that you bring a lot of value and you come from a business mindset when approaching this business. So how have you felt like you've set yourself apart from the competition? I think the main thing is just going more after the direct bookings up front. Even though I've had, I have now four apartments and three of them are on Airbnb. One of them I got like a year lease which was awesome. But I really haven't spent a lot of time on the rental platforms. So I'm not as experienced with all the different tricks and you know ways to utilize it. And I've had a lot of direct booking. So a lot of my payments are coming through PayPal or I'm using Cozy for my payments versus going through the platforms. That makes sense. What if, have you noticed the differences between guests who come from an OTA platform 
or guests versus that come directly booking to you? Is there any type of demographics that you've identified between the two? No, not really, because with both, I've had both all long-term guests, at least seven days or more. The difference, honestly, is the fact that a lot of the guests that come from the platforms seem to be a lot more picky and or complaining, just about nothing. Like I had a guest check in and as soon as they checked in, the lady's like, oh, the place was completely nasty. It hadn't been cleaned. There was stuff on the floor. And it just so happened I had went to that unit because I had to take more tissue and things after the cleaner left. So I saw, you know, what it looked like. So I was like, I was just there, like not even 15 minutes before you checked in. So she sends me a picture of like this. It looks like a leaf on the floor by the back patio door. And I'm like, you know, I apologize for that. That probably came in when I went out there because there's a storage on the patio. But the rest of the apartment has definitely been cleaned. And that kind of dwindled off and she didn't say anything else. But stuff like that, I haven't had any issues or any run-ins like that with the direct booking guests. Usually if there is something, like I had a guest, one of the toilet seats kind of got a little wobbly. They messaged me. I went over there and I personally tightened the thing up, left, no issues, no problems. Yep. Norman and I could definitely attest to that. And uh, one saying that Norman and I, that we kind of make joke of uh, throughout our conversations is that sometimes guests tend to have a Hilton type of experience, but they're on an Airbnb budget. So they want all this quality and all this value but they want to negotiate or they want to come down on price. They don't want to pay the value that they're getting for it. They're on a Motel 6 budget. There you go. Motel 6 budget. I definitely agree. So Norman, Tiana has sent us three of her listings that we've previously looked at before we jumped on the podcast. So I got some questions in order to help improve her listings because we want to bring value to her as well as our listeners in the audience. So Norman, how can Tiana improve her guest access? She had mentioned that one of her current properties, she's having to buzz in the guests from her phone. So are there any strategies that we could come up with to help her improve that process? So I was actually working with somebody on this uh, a while back because they kind of had a similar situation. I guess my question is, could you go a little bit more in depth about that check-in process? Like, is there a reason in particular why the guest has to buzz in um, via, is it like a call box scenario where there's a call box, they put in your phone number or they put in some number and it dials your phone and you press one? Is that the scenario? Yes. Two of the properties, they're gated. So they have a gated entrance. So to get on the property, they have to use the call box and I have to buzz them in. And then the third property, it kind of has a call box on the building. So I have to buzz them into the building. Now, once they're on the property, I have lock boxes by the door that has a key. And then I leave the fob and another set of keys in the unit. Okay. Is the complex 100% gated in? So for example, we have one in River Oaks that's 100% gated in, but they also have like street gates and street parking. Is that available at your complex or is it just 100% gate? There is a street entrance. Mm, okay. Is there street parking by the entrance? And the where I'm going is like, have you maybe considered, because we kind of do it now too, have you considered 
letting someone temporarily like park in the street with their hazards on and like putting in like a gate code, go to the apartment and then just get the key fob. And then you can go inside of the, I guess, the main gate without having to deal with the whole buzz in thing. No, I haven't thought about that. With most of them, the walk-in gate is right by the leasing office. So they would have to park in the leasing office parking area and then walk. One of my units is actually fairly close to the gate, so that would be a plausible option. But this, the one in Alpharetta, it's far from the gate. Like They would have to walk a ways, and then that unit is on the bottom floor. So I think that would be a bit much for that particular one. Mm, Okay. Is it possible to, because I've seen some people do this in Midtown and Houston, because there's a really big complex where a lot of people, a lot of our colleagues are uh, doing short-term rentals at. Uh, What I see some people do is they might put the lockbox by one particular street gate. Personally, I wouldn't do it, but some people put their lockbox by one particular street gate that just has the fob in it so that they can get past the gate. And then there's another lockbox on the uh, door itself at the uh, apartment, which has the key in it, or like, you know, they might use smart locks. Are people doing something like that at that complex? Or are you the only person there? I'm not the only person there, but I don't know what the other people are doing whatsoever. I'm not sure about putting a lockbox because there is another entrance that is possible that's away from the leasing office where I probably could put another lockbox, which is actually closer to the unit. So I may have to try that out and see how that works. I'm just thinking of things as we're as we're having a discussion now. Like another thing, I don't know if you guys have it, but is there like a key cafe or anything like that too? No, there are no key cafes in the Atlanta area. Wow. Okay. Does the call box accept Google Voice phone numbers? Some do, some don't. Like for example, we used to be at a complex where they did accept Google Voice phone numbers, and so when you put in the code. It would go to Google Voice, um, and then you could just punch them in via Google Voice. Is that a viable option at this complex, or you don't know? I know at my complex in Lawrenceville, it definitely is, because since my guest, I've had a guest there since September. Mm-hmm. He works overnight. He's a nurse, mm-hmm. and he wanted to be able to buzz in people if he was ordering food and different things like that. So I changed the number. We had to get a local number for them to update it, but they said Google mm-hmm. was fine. So that one actually has his Google number so he can buzz people in and out. Okay. That might be an option. So instead of you buzzing people in, uh, you could have a VA buzz people in, maybe. You have a VA, you could have someone buzz people in on your behalf. That's a human solution. And so like people are bound to make mistakes. But at the end of the day, like it takes the work off your shoulders. You just got to manage that and make sure that everyone checks in accordingly. If I do think of anything else, I'm just brainstorming with you on it. We could definitely talk about it later, but those are just some of the things I would consider as well. How cool are you with the leasing office? Two of them are under the same management company. It's a breeze. We're great. But the one the one in Alpharetta, where I told you guys I have to do the background check as well, we're not cool. <laughs> we're cordial, oh. but we're not cool. <laughs> she said cordial. That's crazy. It's not I'm playing. But um. I guess one thing you could do is, and I don't know, like depending on your relationship, some offices might be cool with you telling the guests to get the fob from them and then they have to return it to the office. In our case, like we're cool with the office to the point where like we can just tell the guests to go get a a parking pass from the office and the office will just like give them a parking pass 
another option is like if depending on your relationship with the leasing office, you can tell the guest to maybe like, hey, park here in the street. Just go get this. Go get this from the office and then just return it back to the office when you're done. That might be another thing you can look into. The only bottleneck you have with that is that like the guest has to return it to the office before they check out. And so like you'd have to make sure that like you coordinate check in and check out and all that with the office's schedule. I mean, depending on your relationship with the office, that might be something you could look into. Another thing I've seen people do is like if there's like a nearby store or like some kind of nearby restaurant or something like that, like if there's no key cafe, you can essentially like you can be the key cafe if that makes sense. Like if you know the owner or something at a store or a restaurant nearby, or like a laundromat, for example, like you can just like literally just I don't know, pay them to say, hey, like, like I want, can my guests check in here? If sometimes like you don't need money, sometimes like, okay, like, you know, they, who would say no to money, right? That might be another option. And I spoke to somebody a while back who was doing that. Like they had a laundromat nearby their house. And so they would just tell the guests to, hey, just go get the key in the file from this laundromat. That's literally like right next to the place. And then um, they'd get it. And then like, you know, the guests would check in. And then when the guest checks out, they just drop it off there, like a like, key drop off thing, like UPS, not UPS, but like a U-Haul. Yeah. And with the one complex um, that's managed or the two that's managed by the same company, I am cool with them and they will give out fobs and parking passes. And I actually had to do that with one of the guests in the Atlanta unit just because I was away and I couldn't get there. So they had to go in there and they're really cool about it. My only issue with that or even using another business is for the guests that check in after business hours. Is there a possibility where you could have maybe a niece or particularly someone that is in college that you could hire as, let's say, a con- after hours concierge service? And then you could incentivize them by saying, hey, every time you have to check in a guest after hours, you get paid X amount of dollars. Would that something that would be an opportunity you could look into? Yes, actually, because I have a lot of family on the West Coast because I'm from LA and that would actually be earlier for them since they're three hours behind. That may work. Awesome. Awesome. So next, Tiana, you had mentioned uh, reservation automation. Could you elaborate on what particular section that you're referring to? With all of my units, they are wanting at the very minimum to get the guest name, first name, last name, phone number, and the type of car that they're driving. So I was saying just a way to kind of automatically get that information without having to go back after a guest books and say, hey, can you send me this or can you send me that? Just a uniform way to get all of that information. Norman, you want to take that? Because you're the mastermind behind our process. So with regards to collecting guest information, I can explain the problem that we had and I can explain how we solved it. So the problem that we were facing was that like at some of our uh, complexes that we're at, they're managed by a particular property management company that basically requires every single guest to fill out a lease addendum form that collects like first name, last name, uh, license information, date of birth, et cetera. So we use several tools, but we use a tool called Zapier. And uh, basically the way Zapier works is it's middleware. So it's literally just software that connects other software. Um, And so one of the cool things you can do with middleware is that like I can take data from one location and I can plug that data into another location. There's several ways you can approach the data collection uh, question. And so in our particular case, we just have a standard form 
that uh, guests fill out and guests provide that information. And then that information is then taken. And then via Zapier, it's just put inside of a, a PDF that uh, is provided to us by the leasing office. So the, we requested that the leasing office just send us that form um, that they want people to fill out basically uh, with all the data that's needed. So check-in date, check-out date, and then everything I said before. And then that form already has my signature on it. So what happens is uh, basically through Zapier, uh, when the guest fills out that form, it picks up the data, it puts the data inside of the PDF form that the leasing office wants. And then it comes to me or it goes to Josh, it comes in a team. We have an integration account, which is just a, like, it's just a Gmail that all the admins in our company can see. And then we just review the information and make sure the information is accurate. We also just finalize that information. So there's literally just a finalize button. Um, everything comes to us with all the data that we need because the guest fills it out. And then once that finalize button is hit, Zapier just picks that up and then just creates an email. Um, and then that email gets sent over to the uh, leasing office and it has that PDF form attached to it. So that's basically how we were able to solve that issue with needing to collect forms or whatnot. And I think we've spoken about it. And so um, when I get some time probably this weekend, I can go ahead and help you get set up with that. I would just need to see like what your requirements are and whatnot. But uh, that's how we went ahead and solved that. And then just a couple things to add on to that a little bit more. It works, I want to say like 90% of the time, someone still has to monitor that process, but, and someone has to monitor that process because like what happens is if you're using Gmail, um, basically like a transactional email client, and all that really means is like transactional email is just like if you're sending mass emails, like literally a thousand plus emails, um, or if you're even doing something that's like repetitive in that nature on Gmail, they're going to sometimes just give you like random errors because that's not really how Gmail is meant to be used. But a way around that is if you just use a transactional email client um, and if you want to save money, I think you can use SendGrid or you can use like AWS has one, Amazon has one. The only downside is you can't attach, you can't attach like the file per se, unless you ha like have a software developer who can build that for you. But what you can do is you can just attach a link to the file and then just tell the leasing office, okay, the file is at this link, just go download it. That's how you save like the cost of hiring a developer in that process. And then like, I'm confident that that would like stop any like generic errors or anything like that from happening. And so in Zapier, like you can schedule that particular email task to go out at a particular time. So like you can coordinate that with the leasing office. And uh, also like you would need to let your guests know like immediately as soon as they book that, hey, like this needs to get filled out. That was one of the issues we were running into too. People just weren't filling it out. So really what we did was we just got rid of like 95% of like all of our messages when guests book and we just replace it as soon as they book with a message that says like, hey, like, you know, please review this um, document immediately. It contains information that you need to check in and I'm paraphrasing, but like, it's literally just like a one or a two liner. And the reason we do that is because like a lot of, like you said, a lot of guests on OTA is like, they're not really, I hate to say this, but they're not reading check-in instructions as much as they used to. So we got rid of, we cut the fat out. It's just literally like a one or a two liner message. And then it just has the link to the check-in instructions doc. And then at the top of the check-in instructions doc is the link to that form that I told you about. And then once they fill the form out, Zapier basically does the rest. All I do is I just push finalize. Zapier sends the stuff to the office. The office adds them to the parking system. And then we also have a, a message that's scheduled based off of when the guest checks out to tell the office to remove them 
from parking. Now, the only thing is, if your guest extends, like you would need a VA or you would need somebody to go in there and just cancel that message that goes to the office that tells them to remove the person from parking. That was our problem. And that was how we solved it. In your particular case, if it's just a form that the office needs, I don't necessarily see a reason for the uh, guest to have to fill out a separate form. That's if you don't want them seeing the form, the background check form that your leasing office needs, or that's if you think that the guest is going to make mistakes on the form, then you can build like that one registration form like we have. But if you're confident that the guest isn't going to make mistakes on the background check form, like you can have the guest fill a form out and then the form would just go to the leasing office after you can either have yourself as a reviewer or you can have the guest fill it out, sign it and go to the leasing office. And then like the leasing office does whatever they need with it. But like you need to figure out what the requirements are for the leasing office. Like what is the lead time on that? Like you would need to figure out like you need to coordinate with the office to figure out what the lead time is. Okay, what happens if someone gets rejected or what happens if someone puts in misinformation? Like you would need to figure out like what can't be wrong on the form. And if everything can't be wrong on the form, then you would probably need some kind of like intermediary form, like I said before, that basically validates the information that the guest puts in. And then it transfers it over to that form that goes to the office. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I definitely think I would need to use that form because the form that they have for the background check is the same form that they have for the apartment application. So there are several sections on that form that the guests would not need to fill out because they're not applying for an apartment. It's just a couple of questions that they need, pretty much their name, date of birth, current address, stuff like that, so that they can run a background check. They don't need the social security number. Okay, um, perfect. Yeah. Is there a possibility how to basically take one of those apartment leasing documentations and putting it into an application such as DocuSign, right? And then in certain fields, let's say like the name, email, et cetera, et cetera, can we put like a tag that says, you know, the guests would need to fill out these fields and then send it over to the guests so that when the guest opens it up, they can just, you know, type their name, email, all the information, and then sign it at the end. Is that a possibility? Yeah, that's doable. It just requires research. The only downside is like the reason that we implemented, and I forgot to say this earlier, but one of the benefits of having like your own form and then having that form feed into a like a sign request document or a DocuSign document is that like you can do multiple things with your own form on top of putting the data into another PDF. And so like this leads into the discussion of marketing, right? Like if I'm just having people fill out just the DocuSign thing, then that doesn't allow me to create opt-in marketing. And so like I'm limiting myself essentially. But like if you have the form and then if you have your own custom form where you collect all the information, you can basically do all of that. You can add multiple layers of just like integrations on your own form. Like I said, like you can do the guest registration like we just spoke about. You could do marketing. You can do tons of other things that I can't think of right now. <laughs> but to answer your question, yes, but why limit yourself? That's a great point. That's a very good point. So next we're going to segue into Tiana. We want to know a little bit more about at what point was the hardest part that you were going through in your corporate housing business? And how did that situation turn into an opportunity for the success that you have today? 
Honestly, the toughest part for me was just actually getting started doing it. I think a lot of people get stuck into the learning and educating their self phase. You know, we're in an era of courses for this, courses for that. You know, you kind of course yourself to death. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's just the fear of failing or not doing it right is what was the thing that held me back the most. Because like I did my website, like I literally had everything ready to go well before I did anything. And I kind of eased my way out there with the timeshares. And that was great. I hired a VA for that. So the timeshare portion is pretty much 95% passive at this point. But just with the apartments, I knew that it would require me having to be available to do different things. And, you know, when you start, you can't necessarily hire someone right away unless you get into like a co-hosting situation or something like that. So I think it was just being available and questioning if I would be able to handle it. But once I actually did it the first time, it was really one of those moments where I was like, why, the, why did you not do this years ago? Like, it was super easy. Now, of course, you know, the logistics and things like that are different, but actually acquiring a property and getting a guest was a lot more easy than I thought it was. That's great insight. That's great insight. Right. It's funny you're saying that because like, Going back to the beginning of your story, like some people might argue that you did it the hard way. Like you found the person without having the property and then you got the property later and you you furnished it and everything. Whereas, like I said, a lot of people are just doing the opposite. They get the place and then they get the, they get the guests. And so it's funny that not necessarily funny, but it's just super interesting that you're saying that like it's easier than people think it is. Yeah, because what I started doing even now, what I still do is like there are complexes or apartments that I want to get in the future. So I will create when I know, okay, I definitely want to be there. I've gone, I've visited the community. I've talked to the property manager. I like it. I will make up a mock listing or really it's a real listing, but I do like the stock photos or the photos on the apartment uh, community website, put that on there, put my description in, do all that stuff and publish it. And I'll set the date, you know, a couple weeks out or maybe a month out. And once I get a guest, then I'll go get the apartment and sign the lease and all that stuff. To me, I like it that way because then I know at least for a certain amount of time, I'm good. I don't have to worry about, okay, I just went, I got the apartment, I put the furniture in there. Now I have to list it. Now we're just going to wait and see what happens. Right, right. We do the same thing and it's it's definitely good to at least get it out there. So if you don't get bookings, at least you get clicks and inquiries. Right. Now, the only thing about the way that I do it, which is different, is the way that I do it doesn't necessarily work if you're trying to get multiple units, which obviously you have more negotiating power. You know, you can get more concessions and different things like that. With my way, I'm only doing it one unit at a time. Mm, Okay, okay, okay. Have you considered picking up multiple units? I have recently, when I heard about these guys down in Houston... (laughs) With all these units, I said, hey, I hadn't before because I guess with my operation, like it's literally at home corporate housing is me, my fiance and my kids. So with our little team, I wouldn't necessarily know how to plan out five units move in at the same time. And you could ask Josh about that. We had the plan. I think like our first planning session took like. It's that we were up till at least two in the morning just planning because like, you know, Houston is a big city 
And it's like, if you forget one thing in Houston, it's going to take you 20 minutes to go get it. We had to plan, plan, plan. And like, even then, like there were some times where we got lucky. And then there's some times where we made mistakes. And there were times when like, you just got slapped in the face with like another problem that you just couldn't account for. Like, for example, like we rented a truck, but for some reason, we got the only complex in the world that had a six foot five clearance on the parking garage. So the truck was useless. Right. (laughs) (laughs) So I had to call for a homie favor. I hit up all my homies in Houston. I was like, look, man, like, I can't move all this stuff by myself, man. I need some help. So, but, but my friends came through and like, we planned for that. We delegated tasks. I actually used some project management stuff I learned from work to help me get the job done, but we got the job done and we launched literally when I said we were going to launch. Granted, like it was an insane amount of work, but we launched on the day that we said we were going to launch and we got the photographer there to take the photos for everything except one place. But she's actually there right now taking it as we're recording this. So it's all good. Awesome. And yeah, I also want to mention too uh, that uh, with five units, it's not as difficult as what people make it think it, it is. Trust me, when we were getting into this, Norman and I were like, man, how are we going to get these units launched? But what we identified was that the main roadblock in order to make our five units successful was we needed a project manager. And where we actually were at, at our low point, this uh, process of getting the five units was we had hired a designer in order to help us furnish the units so that we could, you know, focus on fundraising and other aspects of the business. But there was a miscommunication and we were under the impression that she was to be our proper, uh, our project manager for this unit. But she had decided that no, that she was just going to be the designer. And that was our low point because now we had nobody who was going to be responsible to coordinating everything together. So I would say the main focus is to find someone, whether that be you or whether by someone on your team or even contracting out, having someone that is going to be the dedicated property manager. And what that does is, is that let's say as you as the owner, that you're calling the furniture companies, and you've already identified a strategy on how you're going to furnish the unit. Now you can relay that information over to the property manager and they're responsible for the logistics. So once that order has been placed, it's their job to be keeping track of how it's being sent to the unit, where it's being sent to the unit, who's going to pick it up, and then how it's going to be installed in the unit. So, you know, we can discuss this outside of the podcast, but the main premise is having that person who's going to be the central point, you know, like the call center for the entire project. And when we, when Norman and I did that, you know, we use different processes, but him and I were the project manager for different aspects of the business. When we actually launched that day, that Friday that we got started, everything was so smooth. We had called everybody, make sure all of our vendors were going to be there on time. We had everything coordinated, and though it didn't go the way we wanted to, the fact that we had a project manager who was responsible with following up, it made things so much more easier. Yeah, like logistics, like the hardest part of five units is it's not even fundraising. I keep it. The fundraising was easy. Like the logistics was the hardest part, honestly, just coordinating the logistics, like working with the leasing office to make sure like things go to the right place, Um, like coordinating with Amazon just to make sure that like the right things are being sent like that was oh, my God, that was crazy. 
Yeah, and, and just thinking about it, I think that would definitely be a situation if I was to do multiple units like that, I would definitely call the furniture company to have them coordinate everything as far as the furniture and everything on the inside of the units. Mm-hmm. Yep. That would help alleviate a lot of your stress. Yeah, because even outside of that, like and furnishings are a major component, but the other thing is utilities. You know, you've got to get internet and electricity on and, you know, make sure all those things are up and running and then the little accessories and stuff like that. So it would definitely be an experience. Like this year, my goal is to get six more units so I can have a total of 10. So yeah, it would be nice if they were all in the same place. It would be a lot easier to manage, I think. Yes. Yes. Right. Now, no, those units, are you looking to stay within a particular market such as Atlanta? Or are you looking, are you open to expanding outside of your territory? It's interesting that you say that. I honestly was thinking of Atlanta when I initially set that goal. But then here recently in December, I traveled back to L.A. to visit family and we stayed at an uh, Airbnb rental. And I was thinking, like, I literally paid more than my mortgage to stay there for seven days. And I was like, why do I not have an apartment in L.A.? Like, I'm always in L.A. I'm always in Vegas. Why do I not have apartments there? So ideally, I guess in my mind as of today, out of the six, if I could get one in Vegas and one in L.A., that would be awesome. What are those Vegas short-term rental laws like? I think I have a good understanding of California or at least Southern California. So, I mean, I'm personally, I'm going to do my due diligence before I get into LA, but like, what are Vegas's laws like? I thought Vegas had like some kind of permit we needed or some kind of ban on them. Yes. Now I have heard that they are very strict in Vegas and that there is a permit required. I have not dived into it really deep because this is like just coming off my head, but I know that there are some locations where if you purchase that they are already doing, like if you buy a condo, that they have programs where you can get into their rental program as well. So I will definitely be looking into that if those are the options that I choose to go with. But I think it's definitely worth looking into. Yeah, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Also, do you know anyone within Los Angeles or Vegas that is a STR operator? I don't. Okay. I do know of someone who recently is from Atlanta that just got an apartment in LA, but I have not reached out to have a conversation. I kind of saw it on Facebook a couple of days ago because they just launched their unit like this week. Because, yeah, it would be really advantageous if you had someone who could. Where I'm trying to go with is that one of our colleagues, Micah, is based out of Dallas, Texas but he's in the Houston market with us and our company and him were able to partner on deals. So anyone out there in the audience, if you're a short-term rental operator in the Los Angeles or the Vegas market, reach out to Tiana. So that way you guys can partner and establish some type of opportunity where you guys can benefit each other. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. So Tiana, In your opinion, where do you see the short-term rental industry moving towards as compared to when you first got started? I see it moving towards hosts uh, being more independent 
building brands and doing more direct bookings. I think with the pandemic of last year and canceled bookings, a lot of people realized that they were, if not 100%, they were just way too reliant on the rental platforms. So I think now is the time that everyone is kind of trying to get websites using more of the direct booking platforms and seeing the value in building their own business brand, especially those who were not operating as a business at all. That's a very good point. That's a very good point. Are you operating on social media sites such as uh, you know, Facebook or Instagram? And uh, are you utilizing that to build your brand? Yes, I don't post as much as I should, but I am on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, and I also have a TikTok. Awesome. Awesome. TikTok has been going crazy. Yeah. So when I do like a move in or every couple of weeks, I'll just do like a picture slide or something on TikTok to kind of showcase the units. And then I did, when I first acquired the units, I had a photographer come out and do professional pictures and videos. Oh, because I also have a YouTube page, but it just has like the unit tour videos on there. Hey, that's amazing. The fact that you have content out there, you know, I really like how Gary Vee preaches, you know, don't worry about the quality of the content. Just put it out there, document, document, document. And by doing so, when people search at home corporate housing, you know, they're going to see those videos. They're going to see that content and it would give them more confidence in working with your company. Yeah, we literally just started doing that, too. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I thought about it just because I know when I look to do business with companies just on various different things, I'm always checking to see are there reviews, are there pictures? I love to see pictures of actual products and actual living spaces, um, especially with me. You know, I have three kids. So when we travel, we have to have like a full kitchen, different things like that. I need to see what it looks like to see if that's going to work for us. Agreed. Agreed. And I just thought of a quick tip. If you are trying to get a short-term rental unit going at an apartment complex, before you even talk to the apartment complex, uh, Try to see if you can get an LLC, an EIN number, and get your DMB number established. And then once you do create your DMB number, Google your business name as well as the DMB number. If it doesn't show up in the Google search bar, then that's a surefire answer that the complex doesn't see your DMB number. And if they don't see your DMB number, you know, that's what's going to hurt your chances of getting that unit. If they can't even look up your business, they can't see any content about your business, that's going to hurt your chances into being successful to get that unit. Tiana, five years from now, what do you see yourself doing with short-term rentals? Five years from now, I hope that I have worked myself out of the day-to-day operations of the business. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would have hired a manager or maybe even a management company hopefully also expanded into having on staff cleaners as well. And ideally would be up to maybe 30 to 40 units at that point. Awesome. Awesome. That is very doable. That is very doable. Once you have the systems and the personnel in place, you're going to be picking up units left and right. And finally, our last question for this episode If you could start over all over again and you lost all of your resources, you lost all your units and you would have to start from scratch, scratch, what would you do differently 
in addition to your LLC, you don't have an LLC anymore. What would you do from the beginning to get started? Honestly, for me, if I was to start from scratch, like I lost everything yesterday, today's a new day. I would definitely get an aged corporation that has already have two years of history or more. I would pick one complex and I would definitely get multiple units in that complex. I would probably do one, two and a three bedroom or maybe one bedroom and two, two bedrooms, something like that, and build from there. That's a great strategy. That's a great strategy. Having that age business would, even though it would be, it would cost more, it would save you so much more time and it would allow you to move a lot more quicker. So Norman, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, just to add on to what you said, definitely. I think Josh would probably agree to this. We probably, it probably would have been great for us to start with bigger units too. Uh, Just because like given the current landscape now, um, a lot of people are getting into the market even post COVID and just like getting bigger units just gives you that numerical advantage to being able to cater to more guests. Right. And so like, because you're able to cater to more guests, you can command a higher uh, nightly rate and you can do really interesting things such as dividing up the rooms for, you know, different nurses or whatever. Like you can do different things with your product essentially. And so like, I think there was that one time when we were having difficulty getting bookings, Josh, and obviously we had to get creative to get the place filled up. But like, I think it's safe to say, based off of the data that we had, how we had at least more two bedrooms or shoot, we need to start shooting for some uh, three bedrooms at this point that uh, like we probably wouldn't have had to scramble for those bookings, if you know what I mean, just off of uh, sheer, you know, just off of uh, less competition and in uh, bigger, bigger properties. So um, just for an example, I always talk about like, at least with, with a lot of people getting into this thing. And people not being value focused, like what we're seeing is, or at least what I'm seeing is a, a race to the bottom with price. And, you know, just last week, like we were looking at our one bedroom units and we were like, yo, these are great units. Why is no one booking them? And then um, I look on the market, or at least I was looking at Airbnb and I'm like, no wonder no one's booking them. Like my competition's pricing at 36 a night. Like in my opinion, like that should never be the case. Like you should never go below a certain number in price just because like you can effectively attract the wrong type of guest in your unit like you know we saw when covid first happened like we were getting tons of parties like we were doing discounts crazy discounts and like the quality of our properties just went down just because people weren't treating them right at that price point but like when we raised it up and we offered more stuff and in some cases like we would literally redid some units like there's a one unit we have in river oaks that we basically redid we retook the photos we got the place repainted we redid the carpets we fixed everything that was uh broken we bought new futons that place has literally always been booked out at no less than like 77 a night for a one bedroom yep that's a great point and i think something that we should also consider is that as you start to build experience in this industry also consider you know let's say you have a unit like we do that has been existing for three years let's reevaluate that unit and see why it's not performing as it once will, or how can we improve on that? And then by doing simple upgrades to the unit, we were able to, that particular unit Norman was referring to is one of our best-selling one bedrooms that we have on the current market. Right, it's our best-selling one bedroom and we're paying the least for rent in it, in that particular complex. And it was actually the first one we ever got in that particular complex. So that one has been with us for years at this point. But like Josh said, like, and then going back a little bit further, and I know we gotta wrap things up, but going back a little bit further, Uh, I was going to say that 
you need to make sure that your cleaning staff is effectively your eyes for that unit. And so like one of the things that we've done is like we've let our cleaning staff know like, yo, send us photos of anything that's gone missing. Send us before and after photos if possible. And then also if like things are broken, just like send us photos of that because like, well, we're managing like 16 units. Josh has his own house. I have a duplex. We can't beat everywhere at once. So like really this this goes back to just making sure that your team is on point and that everything gets to who it needs to get to so that it can get fixed. Right. Yeah, I definitely agree. And another point that I want to mention is thinking about your competition in the business sense. The other hosts on the platform are not your competition. Your competition are the local hotels in the area the local extended stays in the area. And you should be pricing or matching pricing according to what they're pricing. Because obviously people are coming into the area and staying at these hotels and staying at these extended stays and paying those prices and expecting that same type of service where your apartment, your unit has a full kitchen. You're already a step above that. You know, you have privacy you know, you have your own entrance, things like that. So those should be your competition, not necessarily other hosts that are doing $36 a night. Right. And speaking of which, I got to do some guerrilla marketing. Like I got to figure out, you know, who's sending their people to extend and stay. Shoot, I might even hang out in the lobby one day. <laughs> I might book one myself and just say, hey, man, like I know something way better. Here's your contact information. Hit them up. I mean, there's a reason people are staying at those extended stays and paying what they're paying and still inspecting that stuff. Like you said, like we definitely have better things than they do. So it's just to figure out like, how can we make those clientele sticky to our business versus extended stay? Is it a sales thing? Is it a marketing thing? What What is it? What can we do? Right. right. So Tiana, where can people follow up with you, stay in contact with you or reach out to you if they have any questions? Sure. I am on Instagram as at home corporate housing. I'm also on Instagram as homes by Tiana. And then I am on Facebook and TikTok at Home Corporate Housing. Awesome. Awesome. Do you have any last minute thoughts that you would like to let the audience know, Tiana? I would just say, just do it. If this is something that you're interested in doing, just do it. Like, I literally sat down and watched for a year that I could have been out here making money and learning from any mistakes that I've made and growing. So go for it. That's right. Thank you so much for being on this podcast with us, Tiana. We really appreciate your value and your insight, and we hope that we were able to bring as much value so that you were able to take a lot to take away in improving on your current endeavors. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks for joining us this week on the Comfy Living Podcast. Make sure you visit our website, comfylivings.com where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on Spotify and iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out.